I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Gravity Falls, Season 2, Part 3, Weird Mageddon. With us for this leg of the series, we finally got back to Kaoru Nagisa. Larry King's disembodied wax head wants num nums. <laughs> and Debbie Morse. Grappling hook! Hello! Who <laughs> were with us for almost, all of season one, as far as I can remember? You were on uh, that was uh, we recorded two shows and turned those into three. Yeah, yeah, yes. and that was amazing. So this time around, we are talking the three-part finale, codenamed Weird Mageddon. But since the final episode of that is double length, and the one before the first one, Dipper and Mabel versus the Future, is so key to the emotional development throughout, it is in fact five episodes worth of one of the best cappers to an animated show since The Last Airbender. And Sharon and I watched it today. I had spliced together from the Blu-ray set all five episodes with no breaks to credits and, and no uh, uh, interruptions. And it just, it flowed like a movie. It really, really worked. It had such an emotional through line. Uh, and you can simulate that by just watching the episodes and clicking fast forward. But uh, but my version also had uh, the old 90s Walt Disney. <laughs> 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 and at the exact last second, it goes all sepia tone and Bill Cipher appears just very briefly over the castle. Of course. Nice. <clears throat> Perfect. So this needs joy and enthusiasm, specificity and perspective. Let's look at the setup first, which is that Grunkle Stanley, voiced by show creator Alex Hirsch, has a dimension-lost twin brother named Stanford, voiced by J.K. Simmons. And Stanford's investigations into the weird phenomena of Gravity Falls, now that he has returned from his interdimensional exile, with Stanley, a.k.a. Grunkle Stan, having posed as his own brother for decades since the the man disappeared, finally being able to bring him back, something that he isn't thanked for by the obsessed Stanford, well, his investigations are about to uncover some crazy revelations about Gravity Falls, but crucially, the adventure he goes on with Dipper as his young apprentice leads to the real stakes of this epic finale. Not will the world be destroyed in a cosmic wave of weird, none of us ever really buy that it will. But will the young twins that we've come to love be separated like their aged, estranged counterparts? Will that, in fact, be the bittersweet ending? Can they sell us Mabel and Dipper, maybe not, growing up together as they both become? They transition from age 12 to age 13 and start becoming teenagers and hitting that next part of their life. I listened to all of these episodes with commentaries on, we did, um, yesterday, to get a, a grip on it, and there were a lot of 
things that I've taken for granted or things that I don't think were necessarily put across <laughs> by the writers and some things I think that were almost assumed by them to be really well conveyed. Stanford is actually there to represent an obstacle, someone that stands in the way of Dipper and Mabel, and also a shadowy portent of what might become of two twins who were inseparable suddenly finding themselves very much separated. Mm, yeah, I think Alex Hirsch did say that there was a lot of material that they worked on uh, at the scripting stage that then ended up not going through into the final cut. And I think there's possibly an element of them thinking that the that just because they thought of it, uh, that the audience would yeah. would get it. Yeah. Yeah, when you when you've uh, written something and you've thought about it so much, yeah. it is hard to kind of separate that. What have I told the audience to? What do I know? Exactly, and just yeah. naturally understand. And you know, the two of you would know this having worked extensively mm-hmm. in fiction. Mm-hmm. So when, when you're living in that story, yeah. like head fully in the story, yeah. But that's kind of why I uh, pay really close attention to when people read my books. Like the first few people, I'm like, okay, so I'm not, I'm not asking them directly. I'm like, what did you think of this? Is it coming across? And I think only one of my books uh, has ended up, I won't, I won't say which one, has ended up <laughs> getting the undesired result. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I leaned too hard on one element there. And that just kind of, it, it was like just shaking Tabasco sauce until your hand goes numb and then everything tastes of Tabasco sauce. So actually in middle gone school. back and, uh, and done a second edition of that book, just dialing back on some elements that I wrote there originally. And when it comes to the audio drama, it will be this new version. So this is why test audiences sometimes are really useful. Other times they can give, they can not have the perspective that you need as uh, and uh, as someone who understands the full story or understands what's being presented here, in which case sometimes they can be almost a hindrance to the artistic angle. Yeah, I think if you're going to use test audiences, the creators need to give them very formulated questions mm. in terms of did this work, uh, did this come across as yeah. we'd intended it to, rather than simply a blank space saying, please write in here anything mm. you would have liked to see in the movie. For example, the test audience for the original I Am Legend film mm. with Will Smith ended up getting that thing slapped with an awful ending that straight up goes against the philosophy of the film as it was filmed originally, as well as the book that it's based on by Richard Matheson. On the other hand, test audiences are why we got part of your world in um, Little Mermaid because Jeffrey Katzenberg, petty asshole, thought that kids wouldn't like something like that and it ends up becoming one of the most iconic songs in the Disney canon. Yeah, I think it was just everyone else fought him on that. He was like, there was a boy who was bored and it's like, don't make this film for a bored little boy. Yeah. Uh, What were you going to say, Jane? Just that there is a world of difference between... trying to refine something and just sticking in comedy cat noises and Mm. uh, slapstick comedy. Also, if you cleave too close to test audiences, it eventually becomes a horse designed by committee. Yes. Yeah. 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 Or Ralph chewing his knob. Please refrain from (laughs) tasting the knob. (laughs) Okay. So one of the things that Stanford brings up when uh, he and Dipper go exploring through Gravity Falls and Dipper is suddenly like, oh my God, 
like I'm being asked to be an apprentice here. He's like Doctor Who's uh, helper or um, Marty McFly for, for Doc if we uh, ignore that um, Rick and Morty exists. Apparently a spacecraft landed here long, long ago. But what Stanford wants to know is did the spacecraft come and bring the weirdness with it, or was it shooting for the weirdness that exudes from the area now known as Gravity Falls? An answer is never quite as good as a mystery. I think we talked about this about this with Lily uh, when we were doing the an episode on uh, fandoms. The idea of a, a big building mystery that you're really compelled by and you want to know and you're fascinated and you want to find out. When you finally get to the end, whatever the answer is, almost certainly can't be as satisfying as your speculation, as your the the agile places your mind goes to as to what this could entail. So I think human I, imagination is limitless and reality is not. Yeah, yeah it's and you end up with the Game of Thrones problem mm -hmm. or the any JJ Abrams TV show problem. I was just about to mention the uh, uh, the <laughs> yeah. sequel trilogy. Uh, they get thrown under the bus as a trio far too often now. Those first two films are legit for two very different reasons. That third one mm -hmm. just folds in on itself and becomes not much of anything. The, the the answer to the mystery was not something that was like that wasn't a mystery written by Agatha Christie, who's who knows exactly what it is and then works backwards from that. That's the uh, production team casting around and going, oh, I don't know, uh, Palpatine. But um, but mm. this, the effect is very similar with all the Star Wars series. Uh, you got the original Star Wars opens this galaxy all the way it's wide it's huge and the phantom menace did that too and the force awakens did that too all of them introducing you to these new characters some of them older characters in the later ones um then the second one kind of focuses that and says no this is actually kind of what the story is about I'm not sure quite how much we can attribute there with attack of the clones but yeah uh, and the third one brings it to a close. In all three cases, it's gone, yep, and it's done. So all of that, the wideness of the galaxy, that sort of, you know, all that adventure these characters could get up to, you now have the specificity of what they did get up to, but also what they definitely didn't get up to. Mm. And in all cases, they've had, in the case of the original trilogy, loads of comics and then loads of novels. In the case of the prequel trilogy, Clone Wars. And in the case of the sequel trilogy, nothing? Some comics? Like, no one's touching the expanded universe of that. Yeah. But um, they ha the expansion for that, really, is the Mandalorians. And also, this stuff began, which kind of uh, seems to want to distance itself from everything to do with uh, what would eventually lead up to be the First Order. I mean, we'll probably get some kind of Kylo Ren thing eventually. And yeah. But here's the thing, though. Art is not a puzzle to be solved. Mm. And, I mean, I would say yeah. to an extent, while science with a small s mm. is a puzzle to be solved, as in we have this particular question and we're going to work on it until we have an answer that we're all happy with, uh, science with a capital S is not necessarily a puzzle that is ever going to be solved because there will always mm -hmm. be new things to explore. And I would say the reason why for me an answer is never quite as good as a mystery is not necessarily because whatever answer they come up with is not going to be as satisfying as the answers that you as the uh the 
appreciator of that art have come up with yourself. It's because the act of exploring the mystery can never be equaled by the satisfaction of having an answer that means that you can now stop. Yeah. What you really wanted, yeah. even if you didn't know it, is more mystery to explore. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why mystery novels and the mystery genre exists mm. is because the process is generally more satisfying than the conclusion. The conclusion just allows you to move on to a new one. Absolutely. The reason that pattern matching is so compelling for people who find it so is not necessarily because they enjoy coming to the end of the pattern. It's seeing how that pattern expands out and joins into other things. At least it is for me. That may not the be the human same brain loves a puzzle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. First of all, one thing that I really like about this is that it establishes that the showman impulse exists throughout the Pines family. You get to see mm. Ford. Ford has been at up until this point sort of a very background, very closed off character. He doesn't understand the value in other people. Um, because the last time he gave value to another person... He got it, hurt. Yeah, every time, in fact. Uh, like, you know, McGucket went crazy, um, or at least tried to stop him. Bill tried to take him over, and his brother screwed up his life. Here you get to see him, like, with the uh, keychain and whatnot, actually setting up Dipper and show... And, you know... When he uh, uses the magnet gun to spiral down that thing, he didn't have to do that. He did it because he's a showman at heart, yeah. same as his brother is. Hmm. They don't just like to do things, they like to do them with style. This and, is the first uh, thing you ever see of uh, Grunkle Stan, like in the first two seconds or so of the intro, that amazing intro sequence, Stan goes, ta-da-da, and kind of like, mm -hmm. ta-da, the mystery shack itself. Very, You're absolutely yeah. right, they are showmen. MC of a, yeah. you know... He's welcoming you to the show. Wow. Yeah. Dipper and Mabel also have... Mabel especially. Oh, yeah. When, yeah, sock yeah. Opera. <laughs> yeah, sock opera is one of my favorite half hours of television of all time. <laughs> also, I mean Mabel's entire personality. She's yeah. bigger than life personality. <laughs> yeah, but Dipper also, uh, it's... At the beginning of this season in Skarioki, he could have just handed over the journal to, uh, to the two agents and moved on but it's not about figuring out it's not about solving these puzzles for him it's about being an integral part of the puzzle and that i think is also part of what dipper is realizing it started i think in roadside attraction the episode before where he's starting to gain enough confidence to talk to girls mm. but here in dipper and mabel versus the future we see that dipper is coming into his own this whole series he's asking who is the author and the truth is that he is the author ford even mentions that the additions to his journals that dipper made were spectacular author comes from the or author shares a root with authority and dipper is trying to grow to a point where he has authority over his life and that's very much the emotional through line for that character um i'm actually i think of the book authoring a life a woman's survival in and through literary studies by brenda daly and well let me find this quote real quick because i happen to have the book here on my desk an author then is someone who expects her words to be read or heard 
She does not assume that others will always agree with her, but she hopes that her words have the power, the authority, to affect the minds of readers, especially those actively engaged in the struggle to author their own lives. I wonder why I relate to Dipper so much. Hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um, both Dipper and I spent a lot of our lives uh, wanting to be listened to, paid attention to, not because we uh, were massively arrogant, although we are both kind of a little conceited about uh, the fact that we come up with things. Uh, but we've both searched for mentors and someone who can recognize us and go, you have the talent, you have uh, the know-how in this case, you can more than easily do this. So when Ford offers him if effectively an apprenticeship yeah, to eschew high school and being a teenager and all the stuff that Dipper wasn't really looking forward to all that much in the first place but Mabel definitely was it seems extremely tempting to him to the point where he would sacrifice absolutely everything to get that it's an allure of what he feels is his his life's dream, his pursuit of being able to super focus on these mysterious things, to be able to uh, walk in the footsteps of somebody he respects, who he knows respects him, to be able to carry on afterwards, and also to be able to tell himself, this is for altruistic reasons, we are protecting Gravity Falls. You know, no one else can do it but us. There is a, there is a twinge of arrogance in there, and just in terms of self-satisfaction or, or a sense of self-appointment. Like, you well, know, it's like it's I like can't Ford expect said. any of you people to understand this. Yeah. It's like Ford said, Gravity Falls calls to the special, and that includes us. Yeah. yeah. But that in itself does betray the flawed perspective that Ford is looking at the world with. He is an estranged twin who's been cut off and cut himself off from the closest person to him. Uh, and he spent his entire life in obsessive pursuit and in doing so completely distanced himself from every other person. So what he's actually suggesting to Dipper is the same thing. He's asking yeah. him to isolate himself from the world and to continue this lonely vigil and study and obsess and honestly kind of not a million miles shy of what poor poor fiddleford was doing who was he was was he the original assistant i i, I yeah yeah yes i mean you yeah, saw what happened to poor McGucket. Oh. It's not. It's not a great life, and I feel like the writers expected everyone watching to get that, as opposed yeah. to like it's almost like they didn't want to show their hand and go, "This is a bad deal for Dipper," and just maintain it being uh, compelling to the point where Maya was like, "Yeah, fuck high school." I, 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 the idea of you know we've got to actually all go back and conform and be in the. Uh, the, the, the clique of, of, of what is supposed to be done, how you're supposed to live your life. Dipper is not a normal kid. Why should he have to fit himself into these awkward spaces? And Mabel should understand that and love him and let him go. The bottom line is it is harder to be the author of your own life mm. when you are in uh, an in-the-box kind of environment. Yeah. And while Mabel has the forward momentum to bust out of the box when she needs to, Dipper maybe doesn't. Yeah. Dipper, let me ask you something. Have you thought much about your future? No, 
not really. I mean, beyond graduating high school with a high GPA so I can get accepted to a good technical college with a photography and media production minor to start my own ghost hunting show. <laughs> it's like talking to a younger version of myself. If you're so sure of what you want out of life, why wait? Why put up with the drudgery of school? <laughs> Trust me, I'd love to fast forward the whole thing, but it's not like I have a choice. Dipper, I've been thinking. I'm getting too old to investigate Gravity Falls on my own. I need to train an apprentice to help me fight monsters, solve mysteries, and protect this town. And I think I'd, I'd like to keep it in the family. What are you saying? I've read your additions to my journal, and I'm impressed with your potential. What would you say to staying in Gravity Falls after the summer ends and becoming my apprentice? W what about school? Dipper, I have 12 PhDs. Your parents would be thrilled I could give you such an advanced education. <sighs> There's also Mabel. She'd be all alone in California. Mabel will be fine on her own. She has a magnetic personality. I watched her become pen pals with the pizza delivery man in the 60 seconds he was at the door. Gosh, we've never really been apart before. And isn't it suffocating? Dipper, can you honestly tell me you never felt like you were meant for something more? I, I don't know. Sounds like a dream come true, but I'm not sure I have what it takes. Eagle-eyed listeners will have noticed the number six on the podcast artwork for this episode. And yet, last week's was number four. That is because there is a secret episode five called Gravity Fails. This is made up of the rest of the conversation that we had with Victoria and Maya in talking about the end game of season two. It can be found if you hunt through our Patreon bonus feed. See, those two experienced some anecdotal disappointments, which I have showcased there because they are quite elaborate. And at the same time, I have endeavored here to get concentrated versions of what they, along with Theo Lee, had to say into this final podcast on Gravity Falls. So here are Victoria and Maya talking about the extremely difficult choices presented to Dipper and Mabel before Bill Cipher even appears. It's sort of fascinating to me that this episode is so heavily character-based, especially after, like, Mabel just had a recent identity crisis about being good, and Dipper's been having identity crises about, like, being confident and, like, all of these different elements. But the actual plot of this episode is, like, their birthday is coming up, the summer is coming to an end, which is a nice lampshade for the the viewer being like, "Oh wow, the ep this whole the whole show is coming to an end soon." Yeah. Like, goodness gracious! And Mabel um, is us because she doesn't want it to end, and she would frankly it, at that point give anything for more. Exactly, and then everyone is kind of falling short for Mabel's expectations, in some strange ways. Like, I, I don't know what kind of music camp only exists for the last week of summer, but. <laughs> It's just Mabel has expectations that are just every every aspect of its being is is falling through. Like the reality is is seeping in, and and being a problem. While Dipper gets to go and explore an ancient alien spaceship, referenced or, or highlighted several episodes ago, because you get to see Ford's keychain in a Dungeons Dungeons and More Dungeons. You get to see his little little spaceship keychain. UFO. Yeah. Uh, UAP, I believe, is what the appropriate terminology is these days. Ah. But I'm uh, not at all still obsessed with the X-Files and such. Um, <laughs> but the friendships that you've made along the way are more important to you, surely, than the conspiracy oh, theories. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Until I meet Bill Cipher in real life. And then, <laughs> then oh, it's all... I, I would be a great henchmaniac. It'll be a party. 
yeah, it'd be a party that never ends. But yeah, it, so it's it's a good juxtaposition of Dipper being in his element, showing really his own metal. Like even at the end when he saves Ford and Ford is like, this is exactly why you should be my apprentice. You have yeah. the makings of continuing this great work. And it's all Dipper has been doing the entire show. Yeah, It's a great moment for him too, because it's an extension of this confidence that he's starting to get in himself where like he shows some real backbone when he stands up to this horrible alien security technology like he actually has a lot of courage against that and you know it it kind of shows him coming into his own a little bit it's a really nice way to show how he's maturing as a person the other thing that i like about this episode that it establishes really well is that everyone in town like all of their friends like all of the kind of tertiary characters that have befriended Dipper and Mabel specifically throughout the show are all in these transitionary periods, kind of. Like, everybody is sort of in the middle of moving on to something else. Wendy is starting to sign up, and presumably the rest of her friends are starting to sign up for their next semester of high school classes. Grenda has this blossoming relationship with Marius that came up during the Northwest Mansion episode. That is something that she's looking forward to, but also something that's getting in the way of her being able to go to this very important 13th birthday party. Candy has the music camp coming up, so everybody is almost like on the way out the door in a way. They're all kind of in a transitional period, and it's it's an odd place to be because I think Mabel doesn't really know how to deal with that. She doesn't know how to deal with her friends and all these people that she cares about being in these kind of weird in-between places. And she is therefore running the risk of following Stanley's path, which resulted in him sitting in a very liminal place for decades. Mm. There's a a single shot when they're going through the time section. I think it's uh, during the one with the time baby where uh, there's little glimpses of Gravity Falls in this time portal. One of them is the mystery shack with what appears to be Grunkle Stan looking out, but that's Stanford. That was a neat little touch added in there. I don't know if it was in this season or the season before. This was obviously always planned. I also love the fact that uh, the uh, spaceship itself uh, is the Trimaxian drone ship from uh, Flight of the Navigator, which makes me doubly sad that um, Pee Wee Herman Paul Rubens died just a short while ago. Oh yeah, that's right. But uh, but yeah, this is um, the the crux point. This is where uh, it, it all kind of comes to a head, and it had to be real it had to feel like dipper could actually say yeah i'm gonna stay here and that be the sad ending and the the parting and the goodbye between these two that we care about so much and there are positives to that of mabel saying you know what i i want you to have the thing you love most in the world and so that's okay although i do think i I do feel like she'd probably be more likely to just just say let me stay in gravity falls as well then we i don't have to we don't have to be apart i was thinking that too that she'd be more inclined to to be like okay well i can i can stay here and find something for else for me to do as well so that they wouldn't be separated
apprentice? Seriously? Look, I was thinking, and this is a huge opportunity for me. Well, it's a horrible opportunity for me. I had the worst day of my life. When we turn 13, summer ends, and I have to leave everything behind. You're the only person I could count on, and now you're leaving me too? Look, I've been thinking about it. I won't be gone forever, okay? I'll still visit you at home, and we'll chat online. We'll make it work. I don't want it to work. I just wish summer could last forever. But it can't, Mabel. Look, things aren't gonna stay frozen this way. It's part of growing up. Things change. Summer ends. <laughs> Mabel, wait! I didn't mean it like that! Mabel, come back! This next section is all about the passage when reality is on trial. Uh, it ends with the big trial of reality versus fantasy. And the, the evidence in said trial are pieces that reality is bad and fantasy is good, is essentially what the giant uh, cat judge is going for. Which, like, fair enough. But then Dipper points out that, like, each of these moments, if you extend the frame or play it longer, shows some like that reality can also be good. That 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 you know when uh, Mabel gets gum in her hair, Dipper finds a way to like make it okay. When Dipper doesn't get any Valentines, Mabel makes it okay with her. And that it's the two of them and other people too, because there's other. I think there's some scenes where like other folks are are contributing to making you know reality good it's sort of that you know fantasy's nice but reality's the only place you can get a good sandwich when now i realize i just referenced ready player one i'm so sorry um it's the same principle but ready also player gets one a good sandwich in the mabel land so <laughs> that's true that's true it's a pudding center this episode left me with a ball of anxiety in my chest for the rest of the day that took me hours to sort out and uh it's it, it goes a little bit back to what we were saying a little uh, a bit ago because the fantasy that mabel is living in is is like a true wild chaotic fantasy and the reality in the show is gravity falls it's a weird mageddon it's the show that we've been watching and there was this aspect of it to me where I'm reminded of how much I adore shows like this that have mystery, that have creatures and wonder and uh, these stories that are so worth telling. I'm reminded of Gravity Falls, of Owl House, of Hilda, of Dead End, uh, of, of like all of these shows and, and movies and such where it is a heightened kind of reality. And it made me think so much about how real life, my real life, doesn't have mystery and adventure and all of that. And in Gravity Falls, science is very applied. And in real life, science is a political aspect of writing papers no one is going to read in order to get slightly more funding next year for a process that is only going to incrementally do anything if it does anything at all that it, there's no mystery to it there's no like joy to it there's no interest there's no adventure and seeing all of this is like but 
The show is making a stance that reality is better than fantasy, and yet here I am, continually going back to these fantasies because reality is so lacking in these ways. And I think to the fact that I play video games as a form of escapism. I run D&D games so that I can tell stories of adventure. And those are experiences that you get to have and carry with you and learn from. And it just, it made me so anxious and sad about the state of the world. Um, Because I totally agree that the reality of Gravity Falls is superior to the fantasy in Mableland, but I also agree that the fantasy of Gravity Falls is superior to real life. And I had to chew on that response emotionally and intellectually for the rest of the day. Do you remember the uh, Avatar Flight of Passage that we went on, Victoria? I was thinking about that, yeah. actually. Uh, Thea, were you there on that ride that morning? It was at Animal uh, Kingdom. Yes, we went We we went on with uh, Loretta. Oh, I know you were there because mm-hmm. you got that bun thing, the, the yeah. like, thing in the cafeteria. Yeah. I don't know if you were on the exact same ride as me and Victoria, but Victoria will remember me coming out of that and then just crouching down and touching the ground and just having to breathe carefully in the Florida sun because my mind was still stuck in Pandora and uh, you told me about... What was the scientific Real- term used for it? Reality sickness. Yeah, simulation sickness. Yeah. Or in, yeah, yeah. in this case, yeah. So I, I heartily agree with you regarding the deficiencies of reality up against fantasy. I immerse myself in a fantasy world of my own making as a coping mechanism just to get through. A world where our friends have to not be on this show at the last minute because their little baby caught COVID because they live in Florida, which is full of anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. And Animal Kingdom. (laughs) Just everything feeds back. It's like a, a, a two-headed goat vomiting into a bucket and then eating it from the other side. Oh! Huh? I don't know. Okay. Just reality. That's something that would show up in Weird McGinnon for yeah. sure. Reality fucking sucks. I cannot yeah. stand it. And I've wanted to escape it. And I yeah. fantasy is my way of doing that without doing something drastic. Well, but that, that's the thing. We're, I think we've all been there. Yeah. we. But th- there are two reactions to this, remember, that you can either just give up and give in and let reality burn, or you can want to, at least want to do something about it, you know, talking about educating people. But that doesn't mean necessarily giving up your fantasy worlds because, you know, I'd rather plumb the depths of the methane seas on Titan then go outside right now, actually, uh, given the the wet bulb uh, that Theo and Maya are currently experiencing. Fantasy gets hand-waved as, this doesn't exist, this is ephemeral, ergo it's a dream we are pursuing, and it's not important. But I understand people through drama told in fantasy so much more potently, and get a grasp on the human condition more in those milieus which we have covered on this show for year after year after year than straight up kitchen sink drama 
Absolutely. And and, and just, just look at how, how much fantasy and, you know, stories endure just throughout human history. We're still talking about ancient Greek myths. And, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars has inspired countless people over decades and decades. And it's, it's not any more real than, you know... You could, you could argue that that's fantasy and it doesn't mean anything. Well, it, it does mean something. How would it we mean, know how to shape our reality and what direction we want that reality to take if we didn't have fantasy to give us the idea of what could be that isn't yet? In a world where all stories are entirely factual and totally logically efficient, where is the soul? Where do we Nothing have Nothing new breathe? gets imagined. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly it. That, that fantasy is what lets us make a better reality. And to maybe drive a point home for, for myself, to quote an episode of The X-Files, you don't play D&D for as long as I have without learning a few things about courage. You learn things from that fantasy that you bring into reality. My dogs, what up? Wendy, what are you doing here? Ugh, high school registration. Oh, you know, I'm only a year away from high school myself. Would you say your experience is more rom-com or wacky romp? More like teen horror movie. High school is the worst. Classes get super hard, your body just flat out turns against you, and worst of all, everybody hates you. Can't do it! Can't do another year! My hormones are like a sweaty cage! Why aren't they singing about following their dreams? TV taught me that high school is like some sort of musical. TV lied, man. If you can avoid growing up, do it. I'd give anything to be 12 again. Anyway, what are you guys doing here? Oh, just looking for a place to have my 13th birthday party. Master Mabel to Dippity Dog, we can have our party at the gym, but we gotta talk about high school. I'm starting to think it might not be the awesome future we were expecting over. I'm going through a bad patch, Mabel. We'll talk when I get back. Dipper, come in, come in. Hey, I know it'll make you feel better. Let's deliver some invites to your friends, huh? Yeah! At the same time as this is happening, we get Mabel's side of the story. Wendy, the coolest person in all of Gravity Falls. Wendy Borderoy? I mean, Corduroy? <laughs> See what I mean? All the other kids laugh at her, so Wendy, cringing, goes to get the thing, and it's like, oh my god. I have been told a lie here, so Mabel had not anticipated her future not being fantastic. This is the polar opposite of all of her super sunny optimism of expecting the, everything to turn out and, and, and just this sort of exuberant heart going, you know, everything will be gentle and, and fluffy and super syrupy and fun. No, no, yeah. no not at all. the oh. school part. Mm. It would have been much more awesome if it could have been just me. Just you on your own in a school. Yeah. Like Stanford. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the academic stuff, I was always fine with the academic stuff. It yeah. was the... Oh, the other people. Uh, that's yeah. the other social side of things. Oh, yep. <laughs> hell, is other, hell is other high schoolers. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, Wendy says to her that she would give anything to be 12 again, which is really frightening for Mabel because the idea of moving forward had been... Look, why would I not want to do this? And then she finds out she has to leave Waddles behind, and he's practically her demon in the uh, Philip Pullman sense. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then she finds out that uh, Candy and Grenda are going to be 
going on vacation and to music camp, so they can't be there for the shared twins' birthday party. Debbie, do you want to weigh in with this little <laughs> snippet? Because it's totally yes. valid. <laughs> yes, I completely do not buy that Mabel, Mabel was not planning their 13th birthday party from the time she turned 12. <laughs> And the second they arrived at Gravity Falls, she had not scoped out every possible location for a party. Like, I I don't... That girl is not going to be unprepared for her birthday. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it it does seem like she's, she's getting blindsided by this. Usually what sure. happens is... If you're planning and planning and planning, something untoward happens. And like, even though you planned for absolutely everything, suddenly someone you really want to be there can't make it for reasons that you can't control. So right. ultimately, I yeah. think that was just a sort of a shorthand way of getting that. But you, yeah. I think you're right yeah. that Mabel absolutely would, would have been planning it the moment she got there. Like As soon as she made friends with Candy and uh, Grenda, it would have been like, oh, Ooh. hey, we're not leaving until after our birthday. So how about you guys come and yeah, I think that she would have found that those dates were difficult and would probably have changed the day to accommodate yeah. for it. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, but then she finds out through all of this, you know, it's an alien. Oh my God, this explains so much. Uh, is a smokescreen. The actual drama occurs at the end of this episode when Mabel, who's got a walkie-talkie that's hooked up to Dipper's, hears Dipper talking to Stanford about yeah, maybe staying, maybe letting letting Mabel go and uh, splitting up, but, you know, he'll be able to pursue his dream. And this hurts Mabel like nothing else possibly could. And she runs away into the forest, taking Dipper's backpack by accident, and then encounters Blendin, the uh, time traveler, who asks her the simple question, would you like to be able to go back in time so that you can, you don't have to face these horrible eventualities that are piling up on top of you? And Mabel, being an emotional wreck at that point, agrees. And then it turns out she's being tricked by Bill Cipher using the body jacking method. Which feels a lot of people blame Mabel for, uh, uh, for for doing that, but ultimately, within the context of her being asked by a time traveler, "Do you want to do this over again?" and her being completely distraught, it actually it's not it's not like Bill came out and literally up, like gave that. Like, if it had been not, Bill, yeah. she wouldn't have she's said yes. She's not making a deal with Bill. She's yeah. accepting a favor yeah. from Blendin, who they trust at this point. Yeah. 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 I think that this has a lot to do with the difference between how Mabel and Dipper approach the world, uh, which was best, I think, put together in Not What He Seems, where you see that Dipper believes, but Mabel has faith. And the difference here is that Dipper will look at the evidence in front of him and say, you know, A, B, and C, and then just sort of project out to Z in the most logical way possible, and is sure that he will get to Z somehow. He's not sure exactly how, but he'll get there. Mabel, on the other hand, has some very specific touchstones that she uses to base her decision-making on. So when it comes in, not what he seems at the end, you have Dipper, who has gotten all of this evidence that 
Grunkle Stan is a bad person, that he has done terrible things, that he has alternate identities, that he's probably hiding what he is, that he may even be a murderer. And so he, you know, comes to the conclusion that Grunkle Stan is bad. Mabel, on the other hand, knows that Grunkle Stan loves her and loves Dipper and would never do anything to hurt them, which is why she trusts him there. Similarly, we're getting in Dipper and Mabel versus the future, Mabel's touchstones are being taken away one by one, that the future is bright and sunny, that her brother will always be there for her, that when you do somebody a kindness, they will give you kindness in return. And these are all being taken from her one by one, so when we get to Weird Begetting 2, it all makes sense that she has put herself in a world where those touchstones are fixed in amber. The story does place uh, Grunkle Stan as kind of the, the scion of family and Stanford as kind of the opposite of that, the, the, the idea of pushing everybody else away so that you can focus on just intellectual pursuits and just the practical. It's the head and the heart taken to their extremes. And I think what uh, what snaps uh, Mabel is the uh, things change, summer ends, and rather than being able to achieve a sense of melancholy about it, she's just sad and angry and frustrated and confused. And it's it takes the rest of this to get her to a point of melancholy, which is, as I've said before, my favourite mixed emotion. Yeah. And it's one of the things that powers this amazing finale so what then happens is weird mageddon and there's a load of stuff it's effectively Ooh. bill cipher takes over all of gravity falls they're enclosed in a bubble because of the anti-weirdness field or something like that which as in like it's all concentrated in this one place but it also can't break free of this one place so bill's taken over gravity falls it becomes kind of a post-apocalypse but a funny one again Remember when I said that they have this astonishing way of handling tone so that the darkness gets in there, but it's funny as well. Like, they always make sure that little kids won't get too scared. And if they were going to get scared of anything, it would be this. Because Bill messes everything up on purpose. One of the, the standout moments of this is when suddenly it turns into Mad Max and you've got Lil Gideon as the top part of Master Blaster deciding that he's going to serve Bill Cipher as the sort of chaotic devil. And as you said before, uh, Sham, when we were watching it, the trying to reach out to a narcissist, which is what Lil Gideon is and always was, and ask, because he's always wanted Mabel to like him, Ask him what would Mabel want you to do? Would you would he would Mabel want you to serve this guy or would Mabel want you to save the day and, and defeat this guy help defeat this guy? And it actually gets to Lil Gideon, whereas it wouldn't get to a massive narcissist egomaniac like Donald Trump, because Lil Gideon has better writers than real life. Mm -hmm. And we all love redemption arcs. But there's also that sequence where uh, Dipper and Wendy are driving through these bubbles of unreality and it keeps switching the different types of world. It's one of the most joyful moments of animation in just, uh, what, 10 seconds or so, peaking at the point where it actually switches to the actors themselves in doing a real-life version of uh, D uh, Dipper and Wendy. Now, I have always held that these two actually have really fantastic chemistry and you pointed out earlier today that 
learning that a crush is almost always one way is an important kind of rite of passage where you work out that even if you like somebody a hell of a lot that doesn't necessarily mean that they like you in that way yeah if you it, it, effectively if a crush is returned then that actually does you out of the opportunity to experience the intensity of an affection that doesn't have to be anything. It can just be what you feel and there are no responsibilities or requirements of it, which is kind of an important thing to to have, even if it's just once. Mm. But the basis for a good relationship is being really good friends. And after the crush thing was kind of dragged out into the open, they were able to maintain that friendship in a way that, I don't know, like 10, 15 years later, they could potentially rekindle that and the age difference really isn't going to matter that much. They work really well together as friends and I can attest that starting out as friends is actually really good. So that whole aversion to being friend-zoned, you are potentially being given the privilege of a closeness that a lot of married couples don't get. Why the hell would you turn that down? Anyway. Mabel's world is beyond perfection. Part and parcel seemingly of this deal is that she's been enclosed in this sort of pink fluffy bubble and it's absolute paradise. It's even uh, noted as perfection but better. So you know, it's it's full of jokes and, and like, you know, crazy uh, um, cartoon stuff that Mabel would like and everything's made of candy floss and kittens. But it also, it kind of illustrates that uh, if, if you were in somebody else's paradise, it would be pretty close to experiencing insanity because there is no cause and effect here. It's beyond reality and it it is it, it is effectively just some a, a series of servants scurrying to a crazed monarch to fulfill their every whim no matter how absurd. And there's a this is another point of contention that uh, uh, I think Victoria picked up on the idea of fantasy versus reality and how it almost seems like they they, they sweep fantasy aside and say it's not all that important. Which again, this is another case of the writers assuming they're being understood. Yeah. When in their heads they have more layers to yeah. this than is actually being shown on screen. And it's like w better than uh, fantasy is reality. Now there's other films that say I really don't like like Ready Player One but Victoria does like but I feel like it's actually a lot more complex than is presented here because as Dipper says Mabel is in the grip of denial she won't even really engage with him uh, regarding talking about what's going on outside the bubble she's created her own Dippy Fresh to be just a yes man version of Dipper who won't leave her and isn't really Dipper I would call foul on the moment where uh, the waffle dudes try to take the real Dipper away and get rid of him because I feel like the real Mabel would stop at that point and go, no, I'm not going to get rid of my brother and that that actually would endanger the integrity of this particular pink bubble. In fact, that would be more likely to because that would be Mabel acknowledging that a real thing mm. is better than the fantasy thing. 
so the, the metaphor, there's multiple different parallels and metaphors here, and not all of them are intentional, and some of them are readings that actually make it seem like uh, quite a dismissive argument. The world has gone to shit, but losing yourself entirely in fantasy holds you back from growth and experience. But it's not actually fantasy versus reality, it's fear and denial versus being there for the people that you care about because they have to deal with real life. It, like, immersing yourself in fantasy and avoiding real life is a privilege, again, and it's a privilege not granted to a lot of people. Some people might have a fucking horrible job that they absolutely have to go to all the time, or they might be going through a really hellish breakup, or they might be being evicted and they can't simply throw themselves into a video game and enjoy the fantasy world without knowing that the moment they stop playing that horrible reality is coming in and everyone who has to deal with that kind of thing tends to have a better time dealing with it if they have love and support and understanding from the people around them. Dealing takes guts and determination and stamina and working out coping mechanisms. It is a fight and it is a long one. But all we really have is each other. That's from uh, Contact, one of our favorite films. And we did that um, earlier this year. For the last act of this epic story, it's about fighting together and being so much stronger for it. It's, it's very similar. Like, it takes its cues from Pacific Rim, but also kind of Planet of the Apes, so gravity falls together strong. The actual potential to cope comes with that togetherness, but so does being able to immerse yourself in fantasy without allowing yourself to be crushed by how fucking horrible reality can be. If you shut out fantasy altogether, you might not have the fuel to help yourself or your friends. Mm. And also, fantasy is absolutely essential when you are trying to improve the world, because if you can't imagine yeah. things being different than they are, better. you can't change them. We have magic to inspire us to push forward with science. Yeah. We have science fiction to encourage us to push forward with science. We, uh, they imagined the utopia of Star Trek so that we might be able to aim for it. It's a fantasy that is worth climbing towards. Yeah, and the, the first people to come up with the ideas of this is what we want to see in the world hmm. are the artists. But then if you look at the parallel of uh, the world is falling to shit, looks outside, yep. And if you immerse yourself in fantasy and go, I don't even know about that or care about that, is that not climate change denial? That's not their reading, no, I'm sure. But I, I but would say there are parallels. That there. is multiple things that have happened recently. The fact that um, th one of the reasons why it would appear from a mental health perspective, people finding it very, very difficult to move on from the lockdown era is because we got used to not envisioning a future. It was just close the door, enjoy what you have within your four walls, mm. and we're still trying to kind of break out from that. Mm. That's the, the, the sort of the denial part. Yeah. And Sometimes hunkering down and doing precisely that when there's a period of intense threat going on is actually not a bad idea. Yeah. It keeps you safe for a limited period of time. It's like a but hibernation. Exactly, but you can't stay there forever. Yeah. And that this is all nuance that maybe if they had an extra episode, they could have actually gone into. 
ease back on the jokes and actually have a musing about fantasy and reality and how both are really important to be able to keep in perspective. There's the other thing, which is what Mabel's doing with everyone in her dream world, which could be paralleled with people who decide that they know more about uh, COVID and the vaccines than the medical experts and try to force the rest of the world to live in that imagined reality where what they're saying isn't incredibly dangerous to the people around them. Which of course is not at all what I would accuse people who adore fantasy and don't want to leave are all doing. Mabel is the key in, in the, at this point and she's just sitting pretty over here enjoying paradise and wallowing in it while Bill gets closer and closer to being able to escape from Gravity Falls. It is of note that I feel like in many ways, for, for all Mabel's denial, and which is a natural human reaction, mm. when she does come around, she, she is 100% ready to face things. And you look at that compared to Ford, mm. who is, you know, as, as I think Uncle Stan says, they're pushing 70. Mm. And this man is still, hold, they are both still holding a grudge against each other. Ford is basically trying to replace his twin brother with with a 12-year-old child, which, um, oh boy, that's, that's, not, that's not healthy, Ford. I think it's possible that, uh, he does say, you remind me of a young version of me. He's kind of trying to, He's trying to take his younger self and saying, you'd have been a better brother than my own brother. Mm -hmm. At least we'd have seen eye to eye and we wouldn't have thought that you're absolutely right. That is, that's a level of denial that's quite astonishing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's much more forgivable from the literal 12-year-olds. Yeah. And... Whose hormones and, are like a sweaty cage! <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, and as, as now, now a parent of a child and the idea of my kid wanted to go apprentice with someone at 12. That's okay. He's a crackpot inventor. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, uh, no, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> also, the fact it raised goes back to the question of, you know, how much do the parents actually know about Grunkle Stan when they would let these kids go spend the summer mm. in Gravity Falls is another question, but... Go spend the summer with our con man uncle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think their uh, info on Stan is dated. I think they're thinking <laughs> of just Stanford. Yeah. Very possibly, yeah. Probably. Do we get to see, uh, like, the, the there is a third sibling that we worked out today had to be male to continue the Pine's name, the grandfather of Dipper and Mabel, who then sired their father so-and-so pines who then sired them yeah, they mentioned they mentioned his name once uh, when ford uh when stan tells ford it's whoever's uh grandkids right, right. yeah it, it and one shot in the flashback when you see stan stanford and stan lee as kids yeah. there is a shot of the mom holding a baby right so yes, they there is there is Shermie. mention yeah Shermie Shermie Pines. There yeah. is mention of there being another them having another another sibling. It's so yeah, it is there is there, but 
this this family. <laughs> yeah. So within the context of Weird Mageddon, first of all, I have to, I really have to respect all of the writers on the show for doing something that is both genuinely terrifying and still kid friendly. Mm. What if I swap all the functions of the holes in your face? What? That is uh, like it's kid friendly, oh. just that's, that's as long that's, as you don't think about it too much. PG, yeah, it's only it on screen for like a second, but it's enough. And it's only okay because they do it to someone that everyone wants to see in horrible pain. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. The thing with um, Bill is that, yes, he is chaotic, but I don't think he's necessarily a chaos god. Hmm. He plans too well. It's, you know, the argument of uh, Nolan's Joker. Do I look like a man with a plan? Yes, actually, you look like a man with extensive plans, (laughs) sir. Uh, planned everything to an insane degree. And Bill has done very much the same thing. He knows exactly what to expect when he summons the pure, the pyramid, excuse me, when he's bringing all of his friends there. At the beginning of it, I mentioned that, you know, Mabel in the previous episode had all of her touchstones taken away. Dipper has all of his taken away at the beginning of Weird Mageddon. Yeah. He loses Ford and he loses the journals instantly. He loses rationality. Yeah, everything that he has come to depend on is gone. Yeah. And you have Bill here, who, again, is not a chaos god. He knows what he's doing. He is very meticulous about it. Yes, he puts on a show of being... Uh, oh, look at me. I'm spooky and weird. But ultimately, he is a planner. Mm. And Schemer, that is what kind of. Makes- if you will. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes. And that is sort of what makes him terrifying is that if it were just random, random acts of cruelty, that would be less terrifying than I'm doing this specifically to make you think that I'm insane. I'm going to pull out deer teeth and hand them to you. Not because I don't recognize that deers are deers, but because I want to disturb you. He's like a Kandarian demon with a plan. And then you have, you know, Dipper and Mabel sort of, well, Dipper at the beginning, just sort of there with this. And, you know, he gets together with uh, Wendy again. And I, I got to say that when they're going through the pockets of weirdness, that has got to be one of my favorite bits in the show, particularly when they become Jason Ritter and Linda Fiorentino for a couple of seconds. We Oh, Linda yeah. Fiorentino, Linda Cardellini. 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 Ah, that yeah, would have been quite a magic trick. We said exactly <laughs> the same thing when you you dropped off, and that's how far back we were talking without knowing you oh. were gone. But it's cool. Yeah, no, totally high five. That That is a, a moment of magic. It genuinely is. Um... As is the little Gideon and uh, his lieutenant kind of sudden... It's not fair to call it cuphead animation, but that's the modern-day thing that people will uh, will understand that that era of 30s cartoons is. The yes. silent era cartoon. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the overlay of the sound card. That's ah. what just makes it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also love that uh, little Gideon's prison gang has humanized him to a certain extent. Mm. Like, they follow him, but he also feels a responsibility to uh, be somebody worth following when they're around, which plays really well with Dipper talking about how 
somebody might not always love you. All you can do is be somebody worthy of love. Yeah. And if anything, that I think is what helps Gideon have his face turn there. He's still the same kind of a shit, but he at least recognizes that he needs to be a better person if people are going to respect him rather than fear him. jump on me there for a second but this ain't your gravity falls anymore out here i win <laughs> bill hitchbacks will be here any minute to retrieve y'all mabel's mine now <laughs> is she well yeah i have her trapped ergo mabel is mine gideon listen to me if I've learned anything this summer, it's that you can't force someone to love you. The best you can do is strive to be someone worthy of loving. Oh, I'm worthy of loving? These prisoners love me! <laughs> but Mabel doesn't, because you're selfish. But you can change. Bill thinks there's no heroes in this world, but if we work together and fight back, we can defeat him. You want to be Mabel's hero? Stand up to Bill and let us save her! That's crazy! You know what Bill would do to me if that happens. What, you're scared of Bill? No, I just... It's a complicated situation. Look inside, Gideon. If all this is for Mabel, then ask yourself what Mabel would want you to do. Dipper, will you tell her what I did? Uh, of course. I hope you're right about this. Guys, new plan! Bill's minions are gonna be on us in seconds, but I'm not gonna let that dumb triangle be the warden of me! Y'all ready for a good old-fashioned prison brawl? We're behind you for life, brother! Fighting children is boring! Fighting a chaos god sounds fun! Let's do this! Hitsman, roll out! <laughs> Whew, and I thought I was gonna have to throw down. Okay, remember guys, this is a prison bubble designed by Bill. We've got to prepare ourselves for what we find in here. Whatever it is, we'll do it together. For Mabel! For Mabel! For Mabel! I just like how Gravity Falls goes to Mad Max in like three hours tops. <laughs> oh yeah, like they immediately get to riding around in the the crazy vehicles and everybody just has massive spikes on their shoulders. And then we get to Weird Begin 2. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, Debbie, uh, talk about how you noticed the designs and how they were all previously there, like the beefy waffle guys. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, just noticing in Mabel Land, basically, how many things had shown up before that the beefy waffle guys they had been in was it a dream mabel had no she drew them she drew them that's oh, right they, they were, yeah when she was coloring one time it's just on the paper yeah mm. yeah just a, it just a tiny little callback it just speaks to you know the volume of mabel's mm. imagination the two guys, her her dream guys, mm. in her head. Yeah, Zyler and Ras. Uh, yeah, the I can't remember. Like those two were not creations of Mabel Land. 
those were they were there already in her head and apparently they come out of the bubble and they are now existing people apparently Xyler and Kraz that's what it is technically that makes them kind of facets of Mabel's mind then so that they're like little fragments of Mabel yeah yeah I can see that yeah the points of reference are ever so they're always ever so slightly off because (laughs) considering when Mabel was born why is she so into like really late 80s early 90s cartoons and pop and that sort of stuff even Alex Hirsch and his sister Ariel didn't grow up during that time. I'm sure we said that back in the original yeah. show. I did, but I'm considerably yeah. older than those two. Yeah. But I, uh, I at the same time, I don't care because it just it gives Mabel that extra charm. I feel like the 80s and how extra everything was mm-hmm. fits right in with Mabel's personality. Yeah. Everything being neon, and it mentions at one point her the one shot of her, and I think it was second grade. You see her wearing like ten slap bracelets. Slap bracelets. Yeah. Yeah. A million slap bracelets. She is and exactly I, the kind of person who would go for Alice bands and leg warmers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I And I wonder, my thought would be, it was a thing that was probably, because their parents are probably around our age, mm. I would guess. Mm. And it was probably their mom had, you know, her earrings and maybe some of her clothes from when she was a teen. And Mabel, you know, raided mom's closet mm. and thought this stuff was really cool and their parents music and nice. that's yeah. like me being into 60s and 70s music mm. yeah i was yeah. literally going to say exactly the same yeah. thing i was such a hippie when i was in like the fifth grade through most of high school mm. we had a hippie date in fifth grade where everyone was supposed to dress up i was the only one who already had the clothes <laughs> like everyone else their, their parents went out and bought them tie-dye shirts i already had plenty smabulock <laughs> And now for your listening pleasure, before we move on to the climax, Toby Skills Jungius, who couldn't make this recording, but really wanted to send in a piece about his reflections on the second season of Gravity Falls. What do you mean Gravity Falls was ten years ago? No, 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 I can't be right. Ah, okay, here, look, its final episode was in early 2016. See, that makes a lot more sense. That was only... Almost eight years ago. Huh. Well, you know what? For all the oft-repeated jokes that we like to make about time at once being an ever-present force of terror and losing all meaning in a post-2020 world, it's strangely apt to be struck by how long it's been since Gravity Falls was technically current, because... Whether you expected it to be so much less or more time than that, both feel telling of the impact and legacy of this wonderful show. Every episode of Gravity Falls feels electric and alive, like you are feeling the bursting creativity and enthusiasm of a hundred different artistic minds at once. And even that is probably understating the supreme effort that went into making this at every level. Every line makes me chuckle and giggle relentlessly, as if it was the very first time I was hearing it. And every character still occupies a spot in my heart, soul, mind, whatever you want to call that place within us where our favourite fictions live. Because Gravity Falls is hilarious, and Gravity Falls is mysterious. And whether you're a Dipper or a Mabel, you will be drawn headfirst into one or both of these central characteristics that this show 
balances, and excels at. And what's astonishing is that season 2 is even better than the show's excellent first half. We didn't know until late in the game exactly how much time we had left in Gravity Falls until Alex Hirsch confirmed that the show would be ending on season 2 when Weird Mageddon and the whole uh, multiple part finale was in full swing. But in retrospect, we really should have known. Because season 2 begins as it means to go on. It's on a mission and makes every moment count with the time it has left, changing the status quo not so relentlessly that it loses meaning, but consistently enough that you never know exactly where things will be in an episode or two. The reveal of the author and his incorporation into the main cast of characters is efficiently accomplished and brings the more familial side of the show's narrative home, making the Pines twins' relationship not just a sweet centre to come back to and ground ourselves at at the end of the supernatural and frightening adventures, but it becomes the final question of what will make or break by the end of this story, and whether that will have a chance to heal a previous generation's rift. And that's just the dramatic side of things. The comedy is still gold. Whether it stands manic energy that always plays on the edge of just what kind of character the Disney Channel will allow to be part of the main cast, not to mention Bill Cipher being the most nightmarish, technically acceptable for childhood audiences entity that you could get away with, and his particular brand of chaotic, dark gremlin humour that a lot of people on the internet gravitated towards at the time, or Seuss coming further and further into the fold for his earnest qualities to shine all the brighter, this show adds heart on top of the further intrigue, bolstering and accentuating its two central pillars. That much is obvious from the season opener, where the army of the dead give rise to more intense artwork, lighting, action, and cinematography than we've seen before in the show, but it is ultimately resolved with a rock ballad family karaoke session, when Combined with a sense of limited time left in Dipper and Mabel's summer and the viewers' awareness of the limited length of time left to them with this final season, it's the kind of fiction that makes you feel that bittersweet sensation of living the most you can in the time you have. And for accomplishing that, we've seen shows take this approach to immediately appealing and long-term rewarding animated fiction that Gravity Falls set the bar for. Amphibia and The Owl House share some of this show's DNA, and not just because you can hear Alex Hirsch's voice in both of these shows. They both picked up that approach to unfolding mysteries and hidden details for fans to scan every episode for, and they each carry their own unique heart with them to make you laugh and love their own sets of characters. And despite Disney's best efforts to cut the Owl House short, Dana Terrace and her team worked like hell to make the most of the time they had. And that's also very Gravity Falls. It's the kind of story and the kind of art that inspires me, and has clearly inspired storytellers who have gone on to make more of my favourite media. And yes, I do include you in that, Alex. And I could get into more of the details, but that's really the best thing that any creatives could hope to achieve in the uncertain time that they have your attention for.
Well, I could leave it there, but I'd be remiss to not gush about some of my favourite episodes and moments in an unscripted gushing section. So, obviously, uh, the thing that Alex has brought me on for is the stop-motion segment of Little Gift Shop of Horrors. It's brilliant. I've seen it be referred to and included in slideshows on so many uh, animation conference presentations. It's this Ray Harryhausen homage where they do all of the jokes, such as this beautiful animation being made extinct by the early terrible-looking CG that looks so real that the uh, <laughs> the headlines uh, show and the Cyclops uh, uh, cursing and going, where's the heart? It's, it's wonderful. And the mixed media shows that they were always driven to do things that aren't just the stock episode types, the stock episode formats. They wanted to do things that would have been a challenge because they cared about the material and they just had something that they were that probably meant a lot to Alex Hirsch or to any number of the uh, other writers who would have been involved in it and the team they all did something to make this filled with heart and soul for what made them into the people they are and it means that a little seven-minute segment of this one episode is just as gold as any of the most quoted Treehouse of Horror segments from classic Simpsons. You know, like, that's how you know that you are a show with longevity when you have these small segments that could so easily be throwaway still feel timeless and infinitely quotable and that's what gravity shows accomplishes i also love the uh big henry section in the gulf war which is the darkest joke in the entire show where we see the life and death of this one miner who gives his life so that mabel and pacifica can have their dumb mini golf competition it's so dumb it's so brilliant and Oh, the Northwest Mansion Mystery is also an, a perfect episode and one that sparked an entire ship in the fan community between Dipper and Pacifica and a lot of that is just the idea of if they met later in life and just they they both got some stuff to work through and it the fact that this episode in 20 minutes can just tell a genre and of story with a dynamic that we have never seen before and we will never see in the rest of the show and people still remember that and still love imagining stories where these characters continue and goodness there's there's so much to get into and I've already kept you far too long but Gravity Falls has an excellent first season and barring one or two moments where you perhaps feel a little frustrated with Mabel and her retreating into herself and the disregard for the emotional effect and impact she's having on other people that she brings into her fantasy, which does leave a slightly sour taste in my mouth even though i think characteristically there's an argument for why it makes so much sense this is a perfect season of television i don't use that word lightly and 
I respect the hell out of it and I will always come back to it. Can we talk about the Pacific Rim stuff now? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Originally, they had intended to have uh, McGucket explain how the, this thing could only be piloted by twins and they had to upload their brains into the drift. Then someone was like, why would you build such a thing? And he says something along the lines of, you know, it's best not to think about it. It was kind of a poking fun at uh, Pacific Rim. But then they found out that Guillermo del Toro really liked Gravity Falls. And they were like, dial it back, dial it back. Make it reverent to Pacific Rim. Yes. It totally comes across that way. Personally, oh, yeah, absolutely. I get the oh, drift yeah. entirely. It's about someone that you can be that familiar with. But uh, it doesn't make that much sense that Fiddleford would make that. It makes sense that Stanford would make that. Yeah, but now, yeah, Fiddleford, it just, especially since he's made plenty of giant monster robots already. Like, he's got the skills. He doesn't need, he doesn't need yeah. a twin. But uh, the actual, the, the putting together of this mystery Shaq Jaeger is, is pure joy in the way that they... They go out of their way to it's 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 almost Avengers uh, Endgame like in terms of like dra dragging everyone who has been in Gravity Falls into this giant battle at the end and pulling everyone together and it's the you know on your left and uh, portals section with that same wow. level of yes going on like it it creates a big epic action sequence but it's not how they really beat Bill. And then there's uh, the, the prophecy where they have to stand all wearing specific symbols. And this is something that's been going on in the show for a long while. So clearly the fans were talking, talking, talking about who each symbol represented. You know, the question mark. Well, this puzzle will never be solved. <laughs> uh, Mabel's shooting star. In that. It's, you've got enough overt clues to know that certain people correspond to these stepping stones and then it gets all the way up to the point where they are going to beat bill but then like every good big setup we're gonna do this heist thing something goes horribly wrong but something goes horribly wrong not because of circumstantial scenarios not because of oh no a thing came in and messed up our our, our plan it's because stanford and grunkle stan stanley still can't get on. They're still kind of very, very prickly and frosty with each other, and Stanford corrects Stanley's grammar in that superior way, yeah. which, which causes a rift, breaks the union, and so all of the speculation about what this could actually entail is kind of for nothing, because Bill wins again. Ford's got 12 PhDs. Apparently none of them are in English, because even his correction is wrong. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the, yeah. I sat there going, surely it should be he and I. Yes, exactly, not he and me. What the hell are you talking about, Stan Stanford? What the hell? Now, and the, the sort of beauty of that um, whole sequence, other than the fact that I love how Seuss gets excited to show anime to McGucket. And um, his example, that was definitely an Evangelion unit. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I totally saw that, yeah. Actually, I was, like, this was the first time we'd seen it since we watched all of Evangelion, and I was like, I understand that reference. And now yes. I'm going to go ahead and guarantee some uh, Evangelion fans sat up and went, oh, wait, what? We decided not to do an Evangelion show, which is way better than doing one when you really don't vibe with it and know fuck all about it, even after you've seen it. And even if you aren't plagiarizing. Anyway, there's, pl there's plenty out there. Watch that. I like when a show will take audience expectations and acknowledge them, but not necessarily fall into them. While it would have been cool to see, you know, big special effects and, ooh, here's the ritual and this, that, and the next thing. The fact of the matter is they defeat Bill in a way that is much more thematically satisfying. Mm. Particularly since, going back to Dipper and Abel versus the future, Ford thinks that he is a special person. Stanley thinks that he's basically a waste and useless. Mm. But you don't need to be special to be a hero. You need to be willing to be heroic, and that's it. Mm. And that's very much what ends up happening here, is Stan, and he's not, he doesn't want to be a hero because he likes heroics the way his brother does, or that he needs to have that sense of, that constant reinforcement of his own superiority. He does it because he loves his niece and nephew. Yeah. And that's what kind of makes it work. I would say that the kids have being there for the summer have made him want to be a better person. That, yeah, agreed. I would also add to that that Stanley thinks that Stanford is special for reasons entirely different to, the re to why Stanford thinks that he's special. It's nothing to do with his brain. It's because he's his brother. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the reason that... Stanford sees something in Stanley that Stanley doesn't see in himself is nothing to do with him being capable of things that he's always told himself he's not capable of. It's because he's his brother. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately that is the connection that saves them. Yeah, I, I know that Stanley didn't learn to do an impression of his brother because he spent a lot of time asking for pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he did it because he missed his brother. I will say that Gravity Falls is one of the only cartoons that, and probably the only one I can think of off the top of my head, that references Doctor Strange Love, and I adore that. Such a subtle little reference, too. Which uh, reference is it? Because uh, there's been a lot of, um, like, Homer riding the bomb and uh, the, the shape just of the war room uh, has turned up repeatedly. What's the reference here? Um, in this case, uh, when uh, Bill um, invites Ford to the penthouse, he comes up playing We'll Meet Again nice. on the piano. Nice. You know, in the middle of Armageddon. Uh, are we now at the point where Stan actually does have to sacrifice himself? Yeah. So they do the uh, Homer and Krusty thing of, uh, you know, th these two characters are actually very, very similar and one could impersonate the other. Uh, they hide their hand rather well, but um, the the reason why is not immediately apparent until Bill shakes hands with what he thinks is Stanford, only to find that it's actually Grunkle Stan and he's inside the head of an idiot. And um, Stan 
punches him out. And what Bill's actually shouting is a plea to the to the chaos gods or something to put him somewhere else and somewhere safe. Which is why you get to see that sort of stone Bill Cipher at the very end in the forest. Uh, mm -hmm. Both in animated form and in real life form where they really did hide a Bill Cipher statue in the woods. And some fans finally managed to find it by uh, sleuthing with the clues that they were given. Which is really above and beyond for a TV show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those just wonderful, oh my god, I, I just... <sighs> you realise in that moment, like, you always liked Grunkle Stan, but now you love him. Yeah. And it's the point it's, where you're losing him. Yeah. There, there will be people who argue that the fact that that is reversed only a few minutes later lessens the impact but mm. I disagree because quite frankly what we are, what we are seeing there is in real time we are seeing not only Stan but also Dipper and Mabel reacting to Stan's sacrifice mm -hmm. and the fact that we are experiencing more than one emotion in a five minute period is not a bad thing that we can feel that, if anything, it makes the return afterward that much more triumphant yeah. because we had a moment of loss. It's not trivial to Dipper and Mabel, so it's not trivial to us. It's not super easy, barely an inconvenience either. I yeah. have a yeah. two-point counter-argument to this being too easy, because originally I thought it was too easy. Uh, and then I listened to the commentary, and then I thought about it even harder. One is that this is Wally. At the end of Wally, Eve believes Wally has completely gone, and she mm -hmm. holds his hand, and just a little spark passes between them, and the memory of them being close to each other returns to Wally. And it's an absolutely wonderful cinematic moment. So take it up with Pixar there. The other one is yeah. something that Alex Hirsch said on the um, commentary, which is that people with Alzheimer's really do use photo albums and memory books to remind them of what they've done, the experiences they've had. The memory gun doesn't erase the memories. All it does is bury them. It files them away deep down where they can't be easily retrieved. So what Mabel's book, her, her wonderful scrapbook, accomplishes is it crystallizes that relationship that has grown between them and it brings these files back out to the front. Again, if they had more time, that could have been given more nuance. But the, yeah. the fact that this actually does happen in real life gives it a, a weight and an emotion that makes it even more powerful. Yeah. If anything, Mabel's memory book has replaced the journals as mm. the uh, as the uh, chronicle of Gravity Falls. It's no longer about here's a detailed account of all these weird things. Mm. It's this is what's important about here. Yeah. And the ultimate philosophical conclusion is that it sounds twee, but ultimately the, the greatest adventure and the best part of all of this was the friends we made along the way. It's been done a million times, but rarely better 
than this because the misdirection of the mystery is so potent. Yeah, when mm. Wendy gives Dipper the the letter or the envelope for you know break glass in emergency if you miss Gravity Falls, it is not photographs of the place; it's names of the people. Now yeah. the supreme challenge: Can we get through the finale <laughs> without breaking down? My God! Yeah. Uh, a lot so, of these um, shots were storyboarded by um, Dana Terrace, who went on to make the Owl House with uh, collaboration from Alex Hirsch himself. So there's like it, it, she nailed this ending for every yeah. single moment. That the most powerful, I think, that just starts you off is just seeing. Oh my God, I'm gonna go. <sighs> is see <gasps> is seeing the twins' bedroom just. Emptied, like still a few, <clears throat> still a few. What is that darn thing gonna set? <clears throat> still a few <laughs> signs that Mabel and Dipper were there. Yeah. It's... They've, they've made their impact on the place, but they need to move on. Yeah, yeah I, I particularly like that one of the things that Dipper left behind is the "Who is the author?" Mm. sign because he knows now. Again, he is the author. He gets to determine what happens in his life from now on. And Mabel um, overtly seems to leave her safety scissors behind because like, she's been making these memories in the memory book and she's keeping those with her. Okay. And, she's, and they're both way past safety scissors at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Good touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There One are parallels I... with uh, Toy Story 3 here as well, and just the Id- mm-hmm. <clears throat> just the general idea of kids grow mm-hmm. kids growing up, leaving home, and empty nest syndrome. But it's yeah. also uplifting because Grunkle Stan doesn't just wander around this now empty house. He hands it over to Zeus and the meet cute girl from uh, Zeus and the Real Girl. Uh, to, you know, to take this hallowed position as um, the, the shyster who runs this particular joint. But I, I feel like Seuss will change the direction of the Mystery Shack because he's always loved this place and he'll make it more authentic. Seuss believes in it in a way that Stan never did. Yeah, but the, yeah. the brothers are reunited after all of that and end up going on that voyage together as they should. They're at the end of their lives and they're able to salvage it off. Yeah. Uh, hold on. I'm going to. I'm going to uh, point out a continuity thing to give you a second to breathe here. Uh, I'm sorry, so, guys. It's okay. So, Ford no, uh, brings up. Have emotions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ford brings up the map uh, with the little circle, and he says, "There's something. Uh, there's some weird energy near the Arctic Circle. That circle is near the equator. It is as far from the Arctic Circle <laughs> as you can get on a map. Yeah, but I can't read maps. Yeah." <laughs> What the hell, Ford? You were uh, another thing that he didn't have a doctorate in geography. <laughs> I think that's a double reference to um, at the Mountains of Madness, isn't it? The uh, or, or Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, no, at Mountains of Madness. That's the Arctic Circle there. No, you're you're absolutely right. It's you know seeing these characters take that next step. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I noticed is that uh, just a little bit of color theory here. When Dipper first arrives, he is wearing a brown and tan hat. 
with a star on it. Not a shooting star, but we can see that he is in many ways Mabel's sidekick. She is the shooting star. He needs, and again, with if the entire series for him is about finding who he is as himself, that pine tree, when he switches it out to a brighter color in a place that is brighter and more mysterious and more interesting than the real world outside of Gravity Falls could ever possibly be. And then when he's about to leave, Wendy takes his hat and gives him another brown and tan hat. But this one is filled with memories and is a connection to this place. So even if he's going back to the brown and tan world of Piedmont, California, where he comes from, he still has the... It's not the same Dipper who arrived. He has been changed. He is wearing a part of Gravity Falls that will follow him. Yeah. And Wendy holds on to his hat so that it will be ready for him when he returns for more adventure. But watching them drive off for the second time in the series... Because they, they didn't know they were going to get a second season. But watching them drive off and leaving Gravity Falls behind and telling us, the audience, to search out those strange places in the world, to find the things that interest us and go after them, to break out of your tan and brown life and find someplace colorful and exciting it it, it hits me every damn time I hear it um, there are very few TV shows I think that have perfect endings MASH Babylon 5, The Good Place Futurama twice so far Quantum Leap and for us Quant- yeah Quantum Leap, yeah, that's a good one too, yeah. I also really and, like the ending of Battlestar Galactica. I know a lot of people at the time didn't like it, but I, that, that one worked for me. And obviously The Last Airbender. And definitely Gravity Falls. This has one of the most perfect endings I've ever seen, is it? Schmabulock! School of Everything Else is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandro Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheedy, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clausen, Joe Gluck, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Sean Doran, Toby Skills Jungius, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Tom Painter, Timu Hellas Hayo, Sarah Montgomery, and Kat Esman. Hey, is anyone gonna feed me? Larry King's disembodied wax head wants num nums. Sharon and I are shattered. We've hardly slept all week. But it has been so great being with you guys again. I have missed you so much. Internet hug stretching out across the other. Debbie was saying it's like it's uh, 2018. We have no child and we're podcasting again. (laughs) (laughs) Turn back the clock. Little flashback for you there. Oh, God. 
Okay, I mean, yeah, weirdly, it almost seems like this the actual ending is more relevant now than it was back then because the whole, you know, the, the frightening new balance for the world. So, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a show that gets better with age. I, that very few of the things that I've seen are like, oh, that's very 2000 and late. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Before we head off, is there anything you'd like to plug or mention or send people towards? I very rarely use Twitter anymore because it's a... (laughs) (laughs) No. No, I refuse. (laughs) I very rarely use it anymore because it's a fascist hellhole these days. Um, So you can find me on Blue Sky, moonpanther22.bsky.social. That's where I usually post my random rantings these days, so... Uh, feel free to follow me there if you're curious. <laughs> I am still on Twitter because I have the cat Twitter community, so I still keep up with people there. And and I'm also on Blue Sky, also uh, best at 8300, same on, same on both places. And a massive thank you to Maya Suris, who kicked us into gear, finally getting us to confront season two by commissioning these episodes. I gave her a very generous deal on this, since I really wanted to complete the series as well, but this has been a super in-depth undertaking for me, and I was once again intimidated by how much there was to say. So again, thank you, Maya. And Victoria and Theo. Maya, you are in a difficult position along with Sagafra, so what can you say that doesn't break strike lines. Uh, there is a, a Hispanic hero-oriented film that is in theaters right now that <laughs> I was may or uh, allegedly and may or may not have been a part of that you can see in theaters right now and uh, might or may not allegedly be coming to HBO Max shortly. So... I do have some things on the horizon. Again, because of the strike rules, I'm not sure how much I'm actually able to self-promote things. But I will also say that in lieu of Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it, which I'm no longer on, you can look me up on Instagram at the stunt lady if you would like to follow me on a social media. Victoria, uh, what would you like to plug? I, I burned down all my social media accounts to live in the woods. Good so, thinking. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mentioned uh, Hilda and Dead End Paranormal Park. Watch those. Hilda is incredible. I, I, it, it, it's like Gravity Falls, but in a different like culture almost. And Dead End Paranormal Park is Gravity Falls, but somehow queerer. It's, I mean, not somehow. It, the main boy character is actually trans mask canonically but yeah those shows rule and they're they're very much they feel to me like a part of a piece with gravity falls so watch more good shows and theo there's this audio podcast that i'm part of called new century i think you might have heard of it uh it's really good and everyone should listen to it and it occurs to me that among many other roles Theo plays one half of a pair of twins, Truth Arlington, along with Loretta Saylor as Harry. Do you remember that fight I had with Dad when we were 15? Do I remember one fight? You two were at each other's throats all the time. That's 
kind of my point. Mom said we were too similar to one another. Hatched from the same egg. Yeah, I get it. But the fight I'm thinking of was the one- With the watch? Yes. You threw it against the wall? Yes. Why did you do that? I... He bought me that watch. I think the angriest side of me wanted to say, Ha! There's nothing you can give to me that I don't have total control over. Seems like a loss of control to me. Destroying something is maybe the ultimate expression of powerlessness. And then, of course, you picked up the bits that were scattered all around the room. And you spent days fixing it for me. You made it better than new. It was stronger, kept time for longer before it had to be wound. And there was a beauty in your restoration. She felt in her pocket and dropped the watch on its chain into Harry's line of sight, dangling it between her fingers. I treasure it. It made me realize that there are people who break things on purpose and people who fix things on purpose. And you made me want to be the second kind of person. I made you feel that? I just wanted to fix your watch because I figured smashing something that only wants to help you is... stupid. Well, whatever your reasons were, they had a profound effect on me. And I've never thanked you. You did thank me. For the watch, not the change in perspective. Then... You're welcome. Okay. Thank you so, so much. Uh, and I for all of your patience with yes. this technological oh, thank you. nightmare. This friggin' <laughs> hey. Yeah. Thank it, you for your happens. patience and the fact that, you know, we had a baby with COVID and then yeah. all of that. Oh, no worries. I, I, uh, effectively, when you're dealing with all of the stuff running up to having a baby, having a baby, and then having a baby it's like being able to snatch even the tiniest amount of time to do something fun and frivolous and is very challenging so we really really appreciate that you've taken it to spend with us thank you so much and we definitely want to get you back on as soon as possible still haven't done neil breen and his stupid coffee (laughs) dumping on all those laptops Yeah. That is an episode that. I've been... I, I haven't recorded it with anyone else. I don't want to record it with anyone but you. Oh, okay. I, oh yeah. yeah, we're looking forward to that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, also, side note, Monday is our anniversary. So. Oh, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Well done, you yeah. guys. Okay, so until next time, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And until the end of the summer, school's out. You know... On my first day here, if you had asked me what I wanted, I would have said adventure, mystery, true friends. But looking here at all of you, I realized that every wish came true. (laughs) I have everything I wanted. If I had only one wish, it would be to shrink all of you with the shrink ray and bring you home with us in my pocket. But since that's impossible, is that impossible? Since that's probably impossible, my only wish is for everyone to sign my scrapbook. I'll never forget you guys. Wait. Now I'll never forget you guys. 
officially declare you technically teenagers. Welcome to Angst and Acne Forever. One of us, one of us, one of us. So how do you feel? Samey, but differenty. Hey, you two. When are you going to open your presents already? I broke a nail wrapping them. <laughs> Stanley, I need to talk to you. I didn't want to say anything with everyone listening, but we've got a problem. Weirdmageddon has been contained, but I'm detecting some strange new anomalies near the Arctic Ocean. I want to go investigate it, but I think I might be too old to go it alone. Are you saying you need someone to help you sail around the world in the adventure of a lifetime? I don't just want someone to come with me, Stanley. I want it to be you. Will you give me a second chance? You think we'll find treasure and babes? <laughs> I'd say there's a high probability. But what should we do with the mystery shack? I think the town's had enough mystery for one lifetime. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Okay, all right, so I was thinking this one safe. <gasps> Everyone, I have an announcement to make. Me and my <laughs> nerdy bro over here have some catching up to do. We're gonna be away for a while. That's why I'm shutting down the mystery shack for good. You shut down your mouth for good. I'm sorry, Mr. Pineses. It's just that this shack is the most magical place on Earth. Sure, the attractions are all fake, but dreams aren't fake. Like this mermaid. It's not just a dead fish butt sewn to a monkey carcass. It's a marvelous creature that makes us believe that anything is possible. You shut down this shack, and you shut down our dreams. At least, my dreams. <laughs> I'm sorry, Seuss. It's just there's no one around to run it. At least, there wouldn't be if I hadn't just found the perfect replacement. Ladies and gentlemen, the Mystery Shack is under new management. You, you mean it, Mr. Mystery? You're Mr. Mystery now, Seuss. Try not to burn the place down. I'll move in immediately. you haven't done together. Summer's over, Candy. It's time for us to grow up. But not too much. Ah! Oh, I hate my dumb heart for making me feel things! Cut it out! Heart! Hey, can you punch my heart too? No, mine! Punch my feelings away! Candy and Grenda, thank you for being my people. You'll always be my best friends. Uncle Stan, thanks for wearing my goodbye sweater. Uh, it's cold out. I had to. What? But it's like 80-something degrees out today. Can it, Zeus? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you mean a lot to me, man. You too. Something to remember me by. Oh, and this. Read it the next time you miss Gravity Falls. Last bus leaving Gravity Falls. All aboard. Guess we said goodbye to everyone except Waddles. I, I don't know how to explain this, but Mom and Dad won't let me bring a pig home to California, so you have to stay here. 
Forget it! I lived with this pig all summer! Now your parents are gonna have to! Hey, bus guy! This pig is coming with the kids! Now, hold on a second. Bringing animals aboard a moving vehicle is strictly prohibited by... Well, welcome aboard! You can sit in the front row, pig. Kids, you knuckleheads were nothing but a nuisance and I'm glad to be rid of you. We'll miss you too, Uncle Stan. <laughs> Ready to head into the unknown? Nope. Let's do it. If you've ever taken a road trip through the Pacific Northwest, you've probably seen a bumper sticker for a place called Gravity Falls. Well, I've moved in! It's not on any maps, and most people have never heard of it. Some people think it's a myth. But if you're curious, don't wait. Take a trip. Find it. <laughs> it's out there somewhere in the woods, waiting. <laughs>